Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Red Room, welcome back to our free episodes over here, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever the hell you're listening. Um, it would do me a great favour, first of all, before we get started, if you could subscribe and give us a rating. Uh, Spotify brought in a rating system, there's one on Apple, there's one on pretty much every podcast app, but those two are the most important. It really helps if you subscribe, it really helps if you give us a five-star rating, it just means that more people can find the show, it pumps you up in the charts um, and helps the old algorithm, as much as I hate going on about an algorithm, this is one that I do care about so if you enjoyed the podcast please give us a five-star rating we're going to be doing monthly free episodes at least um over here this year I'm really excited for it last month you would have heard uh the episode I did all about the church of Scientology and their relationship with celebrities their relationship with the cult of the celebrity why they're obsessed with them if you liked that episode and you haven't heard the rest of my Scientology series it's because it's over on Patreon that's where I do weekly episodes of Red Room I did a three-part special including the one that you listened to and actually two weeks ago I did the third part which was amazing I interviewed a man called Pete Griffiths who joined the Church of Scientology in the late 80s and he was a member for seven years uh, moving to Ireland within those seven years and working for the Church of Scientology in Ireland and when he left the Church of Scientology he was so outspoken against them uh, Scientology actually directly tried to like ruin his life they made all sorts of insane allegations with him he's been in court with them for years it was really really interesting uh, and, ama- and an amazing like look into how a perfectly, you know, charming, lovely, intelligent, well-meaning person can get wrapped up in something like a cult um, or some sort of groupthink ideology that is harmful to them. And it was just really eye-opening and Pete was amazing. He was so open um, about everything. So go check that out. Also on the Patreon recently, we interviewed a woman called Sandy Byrne, who's a renowned psychic medium. I've done episodes on manifestation, eugenics, uh, satanic panic, myself and Adam from Mind Poppers, we have our monthly show over there and we recently did a show all about the Joe Rogan controversy. Um, This Sunday, 
I am going to do a live stream. So we do now we do two live streams a month. Um, one is like a podcast and one is like a top of the month kind of thing. Um, and this weekend we're going to be talking about the Tinder swindler. Really excited for that. I think I'm also going to bring in that other documentary, The Puppet Master, very similar thematically. But if you've watched either of them, do check that live stream out. It's going to be posted over on uh, the Patreon as always. So insane thinking about all these scammers, but just bizarre stories and I'd love to hear if any of you guys have heard of any like of these romance scams I believe they're called uh happening because I know there's actually been two crackdowns on Irish ones happening so if you know of anyone that has fell who has fell for it and if you know of anyone or just any stories of people being propositioned by these scam artists let me know I mean it's a judgment-free zone as I said Pete Griffiths who I spoke to about uh, Scientology is incredibly intelligent really funny lovely person and it really just shows you anyone can get involved in this from the outside I think it's very easy to look at it and be like how the hell do they fall for that but it happens so often you know it happens so often that people do um, and we're gonna be talking about that on Sunday So this month we are going to be talking about the Streisand effect um, and we're going to go into what that actually means in a second. We're going to be talking about some instances where the Streisand effect affected celebrities and we're also going to end off the episode which is related to the Streisand effect but we're going to talk about something that has been called the most dangerous thought experiment ever to exist. So if that has you interested keep on listening. So as I mentioned, uh, we all know recently in the press, you cannot get away from the whole Joe Rogan debacle. And it really got me thinking about uh, censorship. And, you know, whether you believe, whether you agree with Joe Rogan or not, I think you can look at this as a case of censorship, whether you're for the censorship or against the censorship. At the end of the day, it is a censorship or an attempt to censor. Um, And now we know that Spotify are standing by Joe Rogan. And again, you're entitled to your own opinion on that either way. But it made me start to think, you know, like oftentimes what we try to conceal will always kind of rear its head. Obviously, it happens in everyday life, but it plays down much larger and like obviously more dramatic um, playing field when it comes to celebrities and pop culture. And this is why I like talking about pop culture at times and celebrity culture, because oftentimes because it's so dramatic when it happens in the context of the world of celebrities, it's kind of easier to see the most drastic example of it play out in front of us. And I think with the Internet, these things are often exacerbated. So The Streisand effect is a phenomenon that occurs when an attempt to hide, remove or censor information has the unintended consequence of increasing awareness of the information, often via the internet. It is quite a specific to the internet kind of phenomenon. Uh, It's very much because of how easy the internet has made uh, access to information, how easy the internet has made virality occur and how widespread information can uh, spread once it has become viral. Um, And this is something that you will see is very specific 
to the internet. I mean, how often have you heard of a story that went viral like 10 minutes ago? When you think back in the day, for the news cycle to come back around, that could often be 24 hours. And within 24 hours now, we know that a story can evolve so much. Like, even look at the Joe Rogan thing. Within like three days, it was Joe Rogan's getting pulled. Now he's saying the N-word. Now he's saying, you know, it just developed at like an exacerbated, accelerated speed. Obviously, I think the Streisand effect has this kind of crossover with cancel culture. And I know the term cancel culture, we're all sick of hearing about it. Do not worry. I am not going to be having an episode about cancel culture right now, but just hear me out because it kind of got me thinking about why the Streisand effect is so important and interesting to talk about now. Um, So like whether there's kind of like this symbiotic nature within cancel culture and the Streisand effect, where like the cancellation or the attempted cancellation of a person or a publication oftentimes just fuels the moral outrage of the opposing side. So it gives them more publicity and confirmation bias. So when you think about it in this sense, like if you're trying to cancel someone like Joe Rogan, for example, perfect example, say you are for, you want him taken off the air. As I said, you're entitled to your opinion. Um, however, I would disagree with the censorship of someone or if that would even be effective. You want him taken off the air, right? What that's going to achieve most of the time is him getting way more publicity. Like if you never heard of Joe Rogan, I would fucking guarantee you've heard of Joe Rogan now, like after the last week. If somehow you've been living under a rock, this attempt to censor him has actually made him more famous than ever. It is also given his uh, avid supporters and avid fans this confirmation bias because, you know, if you are coming from the opposing side, you will see that a lot of people who come on his podcast would talk about this kind of like attempt to censor people who are who are maybe provocative or thought leaders. Um, now it's kind of going to give them this more confirmation bias that like, see, see, we are being silenced. Um, and I'm going to quote uh, Bhaskar Sankara, who is the founder of Jacobin magazine. And he talks about the effectiveness of censorship and I actually read out the full quote of this uh, on the episode I did with Adam about Joe Rogan and he's talking about how censorship at times can be effective when it comes to say you know absolute extremes Um, however he does say and I quote it might be better off to deny the attention of being censored often affords the censored and I think that kind of sums up the Streisand effect in a a way the Streisand effect is (laughs) self-imposed and it's when you are trying to cover up something about yourself and it ends up just making it more viral and that is that kind of attention that is afforded to the censored at times. As I said, though, don't want to talk about cancel culture. It's a conversation that's been and had. Um, personally, I'm quite sick of hearing it, uh, it, even from my own mouth. And like, I think we're all aware it's toxic and we're all aware that it's part of the internet culture that at best of times is kind of self-serving, at the worst of times, completely ineffective. <laughs> um, and I'm thinking most people who are listening to this podcast aren't exactly uh, part of the mob. But instead... I want to talk about, as I said, the Streisand effect. And this occurs when someone tries to hide or censor or remove something from the internet only to increase awareness due to our innate interest 
in the good old forbidden fruit, Pandora's box, Adam and Eve with the apple. Us as humans, we are drawn to what we are not allowed to know. We're drawn to the underbelly. I think that's it's, it's one reason why I love talking about the topics that I do on Red Room because oftentimes they are taboo and they're pushed underground, which makes them all the juicier. You know, there is a reason why true crime podcasts are so big. Although we know that they're the topic of them is horrific and something we don't want to know about, oftentimes the uh, horrific nature of those events are what draws us in. And we're going to start off on some lighter topics of the Streisand effect for sure. We're going to end off on some stuff that is quite fucking frightening. So the Streisand effect, you might be thinking, does this have something to do with Barbara Streisand? And you would be absolutely right in thinking so. In 2003, there was a pilot and his name was Gabriel Aldman and the photographer, Kenneth Aldman, I'm presuming his brother, (laughs) they decided to create a website with uh, photographs from the entire California coastline documenting coastal erosion. And it was part of the California Coastal Records Project. So these were just two well-meaning guys I'm presuming environmentalists um, wanting to document something that was more like geographical in nature rather than uh, paparazzi or gossip filled. And they, as they were flying along the coast, taking these photos, um, as you can imagine, beautiful mansions uh, located on California coastline, overlooking cliffs, beaches, all of this kind of beautiful stuff. They they photographed over 12,000 California homes. And one of these homes happened to be Barbara Streisand's home. When these photos were published, again, in the California Coastal Records Project, not on page six, not on, uh, you know, gossip magazines, none of the sort. She was not being doxxed. She sued the photographer for $50 million citing anti-paparazzi laws. Uh, This was one of the pettiest lawsuits to ever exist, and it absolutely blew up in her face on I mean, on so many levels that now there's a whole effect named after it. So when she tried to attempt to sue this like well-meaning photographer, the judge denied her request for an injunction. Uh, They issued an opinion stating that Miss Streisand had abused legal process by filing the lawsuit and that the photo was protected by the First Amendment and was not highly offensive to a reasonable person. Streisand... Again, remember she tried to sue him for fifty million. I'm gonna guess that this photographer was n- uh, worth nothing of the sort. She had to pay his legal fees, and that cost her two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, so a quarter of a milli. That was not the only damage that was done to Miss Streisand. So international news coverage picked up the storyline, and it blew up. It was covered absolutely everywhere. The Economist pointed out that, and I quote, as the links proliferated, thousands of people saw the pictures of Miss Streisand's house far more than would otherwise ever have bothered to browse through the CC or P's archives. (laughs) So by her trying to sue this photographer for taking a photo kind of by accident of her home. Like he, again, like I can't stress to you enough, like this photo is of the coastline. Her house just happens to be in it. Uh, He is not using big zoom lenses to getting photos of, you know, barbs bent over in her pool or anything like that. Uh, She ended up making the news story a worldwide gossip piece. Blew up in her face. She had to pay him a quarter of a million. Like 
as I said, she sued him for 50 million. Like I doubt she was ever going to get 50 million off this guy, but he 100% got the 250K off her. And not only, you know, not only did this blow up in her face, her, the pictures of her homes, when her home went viral, everyone now knew where she lived anyway, way less as this, uh, the economist pointed out than would have been like going, hmm, I might actually look on the California Coastal Records Project to see if there's any celebrities living there. She then got an entire movement and effect named after her. Um, so there is a slice of humble pie for Barbara Streisand. You know, I really like Barbara Streisand, but like that is just petty as fuck. And when celebrities act a fool like this, they they deserve to be called out and they deserve to be a little bit embarrassed and have an effect named after them that is used throughout pop culture all the time. Another really uh, famous example of this would be Beyonce. So she famously performed at Coachella and BuzzFeed published an article the next day with a load of like gif images of Beyonce's dance routine and they were kind of like you know in classic BuzzFeed form check out this like you know slay queen fucking amazing performance by Beyonce we've all seen like you know dancing pictures we've seen um MMA fighting you know they they are looking crazy when you are like exerting yourself and performing you look a damn fool like you look wild but Obviously, it's like high-speed photography. Um, They're capturing facial expressions that like only make sense in the context of a performance. So the photos, you know, as a still photo, were they insanely flattering? Probably not. However, she obviously looked like she was putting in a lot of passion into her performance. Nonetheless, Beyonce's publicist contacted BuzzFeed demanding that they take down the photos because they were kind of unflattering. Now BuzzFeed, obviously a big website. I don't think the um, original article went like super viral or anything. However, what did go viral was their follow-up article entitled, Beyonce's publicist does not want you to see these photos. And then the famous memes came about. We got so many memes of Beyonce uh, doing her kind of like strutting uh, stance. I mean, she's kind of looking like she's doing the hacker, but like she's obviously an incredible performer. No one is thinking she looks like that. However, now those pictures live forever. They are memes. They are memes that still exist today. And Beyonce, again, your vanity got in the way from you. Unfortunately, instead of embracing uh, your incredible performance, your talent, uh, your athleticism with your dance, you tried to get it covered up or your publicist did. Maybe you didn't, maybe she didn't, I don't know, but it blew up in her face because that's the worst thing that can really happen to you within the Streisand effect, I think, is to become a meme. Because we know (laughs) there's many things that live forever on the internet. Um, and one of them is memes. Like you can be a viral story, people will forget about it. You can be cancelled, people will forget about that also all the time. You know, we've seen that happen plenty, especially to celebrities. However, one thing that you're you're probably not gonna live out is becoming a meme, and we should all fear, we should all fear that reality. A political example of the Streisand effect, which I remember happening, but I didn't know this was because of the Streisand effect. It's so interesting, right? And don't worry, I'm not going to bore you too much with just like political jargon. So this was during the 2020 presidential campaign, right? So we're Trump v. Biden, one of the biggest and most closely watched political campaigns that I can really remember, especially since Clinton versus Trump, definitely Biden versus Trump was just drama filled. And In October 2020, the New York Post published emails allegedly from a laptop owned by Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden. 
and it detailed an alleged corruption scheme. So to give you a brief synopsis of what happened here, according to the emails obtained by the Post, Hunter Biden introduced his then vice president father, Joe Biden, to a top executive at a Ukrainian energy firm. And this happened less than a year before the elder Biden, Joe, pressured government officials in Ukraine into firing a prosecutor who is investigating the same company. So Hunter worked on the board of this company, which is called Burisma. Joe Biden has claimed that he never spoke to his son about his overseas dealings. Like he was adamant at this. And you have to also remember that this was a time post the whole Russia gate with Trump. Um, there was obviously a lot of like whistleblowing around the Democrats and the Clintons and the Bidens and there, I believe it was some sort of uranium trade deal with Ukraine. The foreign policy is very confusing. However, I know that it, there is, you know, it's riddled with corruption on both sides, I'm sure. So Joe Biden, he was like, I don't talk to my my son about this. But yes, my son works for a Ukrainian company, already fishy, but I don't talk to him about it. Um, they very much wanted a distance between Biden and Hunter. <laughs> Joe and Hunter, should I say. So the email was sent in 2015 uh, from the executive to Hunter Biden, who you have to remember are colleagues. And it said, Dear Hunter, thank you for inviting me to DC and giving me an opportunity to meet your father and spend some time together. It's really an honour and a pleasure. My mind immediately is like, oh, did he know what he was doing with that email? You know what I mean? Like, did he was he planting the seeds and like covering his ass? Very like Russian spy or Ukrainian spy, whatever you want to say. So there's also another email from 2014 asking Hunter how he could use his name and influence to benefit the company. So, you know, this is not like a political like, oh, we're just going to talk to Hunter Biden's or to Joe Biden's son. No, no, no. Like Hunter Biden worked for them and they're openly asking him how he can use his name and his influence to better the company, presumably in America, uh, with political like figures like his father, who is the vice president of America, not a like not a low level politician, not a mayor, no, 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 vice president. So this is when the Streisand effect kicks in, right? So years later, obviously his father is basically, they're trying to find dirt on him. The Republicans are trying to find dirt, namely Steve Bannon, uh, Rudy Giuliani and Trump. And the emails that were, were obtained on a laptop, which was given in for repair in 2019 and seized by the FBI. Also on the laptop, and this, I remember this part of the story, were pictures of Hunter Biden allegedly smoking crack while engaging in a sex act. When this story broke, the New York Post obviously had an exclusive. Huge story at a really, really important point of time in American politics. And they noticed when they were trying to post the link to the article and to break the story on Twitter, you know, which is most people's news sources these days, Twitter blocked the story from their platform and locked the accounts of those who shared a link to the article. They also blocked the New York Post's own Twitter account and the White House press secretary's account, among others. So they're trying to bury this story. Now, the likes of Twitter, the likes of Facebook always say, oh, we don't have political alliances, et cetera, et cetera. But here they are trying to hide this story, which does not reflect well on Joe Biden. 
This is when the Streisand effect shows, rears its ugly head. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. So researchers at MIT cited the increase of 5.5 thousand shares every 15 minutes to about 10,000 shares every 15 minutes. So that is almost double shortly after Twitter censored the story as evidence of the Streisand effect nearly doubling the attention the story received. So, you know, this is a very interesting one of like, we have a lot of talk lately about uh, where do, and again, it's with the Spotify thing too, where do tech companies, where are they publishers? Where are they just, where are they news sources? Where are they, you know, can they have political alliances? Are they private companies? I mean, they are. Should they have more regulation around them? Should they should they also be upheld to the standard of free speech that the likes of newspapers are? Um, and... Twitter kind of backtracked and said, oh, no, 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 it was an accident. I believe there was some censorship on Facebook, too, of the story. Um, Because obviously this is, like, insanely damaging. Uh, And, you know, a lot of people had a lot of vested interest in Joe Biden winning, which he did. But this was pretty damaging. And it was a turning point. I remember it coming in. I remember being like, ooh. Now, what I will say is... um, it being po- political and politics being dirty. The picture of him smoking the crack kind of outshadowed. <laughs> this is the nature of just like pop culture in general. The picture of him smoking crack, well, I can't remember what the sex act was. Uh, that definitely overshadowed the whole corruption within Ukraine thing because we prefer sexy stories than we do, uh, you know, arms dealing or political energy deals with Ukraine and superpowers in the world. For dumb bitches like me, it's very hard to uh, understand that. But what I do understand is someone smoking crack in a BJ. Another company that was very much affected by the Streisand effect was Samsung. Like, this is the weird thing about the Streisand effect, right? You don't always realise that the reason you found out about this is because someone tried to cover it up in the first place. Like, oftentimes you'll only find out about it later. And this happened to me today looking into this. So we all remember... Samsung, remember Samsung Galaxy had those phones and apparently the the batteries were blowing up and it was, it cost them fucking millions. Well, that all started because in 2013, a YouTube user, Ghostly Rich, uploaded a video proving that his Samsung Galaxy S4 battery had spontaneously caught fire. Samsung had demanded proof before honouring its warranty. So that's kind of okay, show me the proof. But once Samsung learned that the YouTube video had existed, so they just thought he was a private customer, it added additional conditions to its warranty, like retrospectively, so bizarre, demanding that Ghostly Rich delete his YouTube video, promise not to upload similar material, and officially absolve the company of all liability, waive his right to bring a lawsuit, and never make the terms of the agreement public. 
can you say you're shitting yourself? Like, if my phone battery blew up, yes, I'd be freaked out. Uh, Like, spontaneous combustion, terrifying thought. But if I got that response, I'd be like, oh shit, I'm clearly able to fucking sue them for millions. So Samsung also demanded that a witness co-sign the settlement proposal when Ghostly Rich shared Samsung's settlement proposal online, his original video drew 1.2 million views in one week. Um, and yeah, you deserve it, Samsung, because that's like instead of just paying up and apologizing, you're scrambling around to cover up the truth. Ooh, did not reflect well on you. So now we're going to go into a little bit more um, serious territory, but I still think quite juicy and quite entertaining. So I want to talk about book burning (laughs) Uh, because we're talking about censorship, right? And like a famous way and the most, I would almost say like violent way to, to show your intent to censor would be burn books. You know, book burning is... It's a very scary thing um, and censoring books, also censoring information. It might not seem like a big idea at the time, but, you know, when you think that that is how you, you know, you're entitled to freedom of information. First, we'll talk about more of a juicier gossip filled story. So we all are aware of this, the book Lolita, OK, written by Vladimir Nobikov. He finished the book in 1953. It took him five years to write. Um, But because of the subject matter, Nabokov intended to publish it under a pseudonym. Uh, His pseudonym was like an anagram of uh, his name. And I think a lot of people already knew it was him. So he then was like, okay, whatever. He brought the manuscript to various publishers um, and it was turned down unilaterally by Viking, Simon & Schuster, New Directions, Farrar, Strauss and Doubleday. And after these refusals and warnings, he finally resorted to publication in France. Those dirty, dirty French. Uh, The book reached Olympia Press and Olympia Press famously was a publisher, uh, and this is a quote about them, whose three quarters of whose list was pornographic trash. So he was kind of uninformed about Olympia as a publisher. And, you know, Nabokov, there's a really great podcast actually um, called The Lolita Podcast, I believe. And if you're, if you enjoy that book or if you are actually, even if you are quite anti that book, it's a very interesting podcast that talks about the difference between the adaptations of the novel, um, of the novel itself. And it kind of goes through the characters and all the different effects it had on pop culture. Amazing podcast. I ate it up. So... Nabokov, he just wanted it published at this point and he was very uninformed about Olympia as a publisher and he overlooked kind of like obvious hints like the publisher's basic approval of the conduct of the protagonist and if you know of anything about Lolita and if you've ever looked at it from a kind of critical point of view or just as a literary point of view, a lot of the argument around Lolita is, is Nabokov co-signing Humbert's behaviour or is it more of a story within the mind of, I mean, a very disturbed, sick and uh, evil individual? I would agree with the latter. However, it's obviously open interpretation. That is why we have the freedom of availability of literature, because you are free to draw your own conclusions. However, Nabokov, I believe, was very critical of his protagonist's behaviour, but he did not pick up that the publisher of the book kind of seemed to be see the guy as more of a like anti-hero um and his his he also had friends um 
who were publishers warn him about this. Uh, but Nabokov ignored them and he signed a contract with Olympia Press for the publication of the book to come out again under his own name. So now it was going to be published under his name, his full literary name. So it was published in 1955 and although the first print of 5,000 copies completely sold out, there was no real reviews. But eventually, but the, at the end of 1955, Graham Greene in the London Sunday Times called it one of the three best books of 1955. So this statement provoked a response from lots of publishers, including the London Sunday Express, whose editor John Gordon called it the filthiest book I have ever read and sheer unrestrained pornography. And then we have the forbidden fruit. So British customs officers were then instructed by the Home Office to seize all copies entering the UK. In December 56, France followed suit, the original place where the book was actually published, and the Minister of the Interior banned Lolita, and the ban lasted for two years. Its eventual British publication in 1959 was controversial enough to contribute to the end of the political career of the Conservative Member of Parliament, Nigel Nicholson, one of the company's partners. So this is going all the way up to the top here. Lolita was overall banned in Argentina, Canada, France, New Zealand, South Africa and the UK for years. In 1958, the New York Times wrote that these acts of censorship actually led to the American publication being preceded by a fanfare of publicity because it was never banned in the US. The New York Times noted that Mr. Nabokov is particularly lucky because his book was not censored in the US, but in France of all places, what more could he hope for? And that goes into the whole idea, you know, this is obviously predates um, the idea of the Streisand effect, but it is the Streisand effect, you know, and it kind of goes into Andy Warhol's idea of no publicity is bad publicity now, obviously. Typically, the Streisand effect affects a person negatively, but here you have authority trying to censor books and it going completely against the grain. People wanted to read it. People were like, what is this book that is utter filth? Recently, we are seeing uh, a huge conservative push for censorship and it's happening in Texas. So uh, the Republican state representative, Matt Krause, has recently sent a letter. This was in October 25th at the end of last year, but it's the story is still ongoing. Uh, and he sent a letter to the Texas Education Agency asking if any of the schools in the state have the books listed on a 16-page spreadsheet um, and also asking how much in funds the schools had spent on the book. And basically, Krauss was demanding for the removal of these books, of which there were 850 from public schools, and he was taking advantage of a bill called the House Bill 3979. And this bill basically bans teaching materials that could mean, and I quote, an individual should feel discomfort, guilt, anguish, or any form of psychological distress on account of the individual's race or sex. Now, this bill is actually in relation to curriculum, not books on library shelves. <laughs> so he was taking advantage of it. Apparently, this bill has actually confused a lot of schools in the past. It clearly needs to be rewritten or specified. Um, however, as I said, the list was exhaustive. 850 books. The books were varying on topics like sex, sexuality, even like really outdated books that were like written in the 1970s about sex and sexuality, which you could imagine 
probably like aligned to his views because <laughs> they're not anything that I would presume are in most schools now. It also includes books that relate to racism, LG- LGBTQ plus issues, human rights. Are, are, there's also books on human rights that are taken off, including a book that actually outlines teenagers' human rights. Uh, loads of bestsellers, commonly taught books in the US curriculum also. And one of the most notable titles on the list, <laughs> and most ironic, is a book called, and you're not going to guess it, The Year They Burned the Books. <laughs> by Nancy Garden and this book is about like a little small town controversy where um, a high school sex ed program and a school board member tries to get the sex ed material including textbooks removed from the school and controversy ensues so he's even trying to burn the books about burning the books this is where we have an interesting one. The, the Streisand effect doesn't always quote-unquote work. A lot of people talk about, when we talk about censorship, some people's argument, they can use it kind of like a straw man argument. They're like, oh, well, the Streisand effect is just going to kick in. And that can help when you are, say, an individual like Joe Rogan, right? Joe Rogan has never probably got more press in his fucking life. And he, even if he got kicked off Spotify, would probably be fine. He'll probably still make money. He's been offered money from other platforms, all of this. Or like when you're uh, Vladimir Nabokov, who wrote Lolita, um, obviously he profited off it. He made a load of money off the controversy. And although I'm sure it was frustrating for him having his book banned in certain countries, it was a very early example of no publicity is bad publicity. However, the central theme of that is that they were one person getting all of the publicity. Whereas when you have a book of, uh, when you have a list of 850 books, that's a lot of authors and a lot of books and no one's really going to read into how many books are being banned and you're actually just being taken off shelves. Um, so you as an author are more than likely not going to profit. Your children certainly aren't going to be any better educated or also they're not going to be guarded by the realities of the world. They all have iPhones. So um, it that is where the forbidden fruit idea, it doesn't always apply to books, especially when they're not being banned due to like genuine controversy, more so political agenda. So I'm interested to see how that unfolds. Finally, to end off the episode, we're going to bend some minds here. Obviously at Red Room here, we're no strangers to internet folklore. We've covered everything from Slenderman, black-eyed children, and like, you know, in my mind, so many of us were probably on the likes of Creepypasta as children. We were looking at Rotten.com. Terrible stuff, but forbidden fruit nonetheless, and that is why we were interested. And it's probably one of the reasons why you like to listen to this podcast. But what if I told you that the story I'm about to tell you could cause you an eternity of suffering and torment. <laughs> if you don't want to know the information I'm about to tell you, and if you don't want to risk that, turn off the podcast now. And I'm being serious. Wherever I have seen this story being listed, and it's not because of its um jump scares or creepiness, you're not going to be looking in the corner of your room at night being afraid of something called Rocco's Basilisk. But you could be (laughs) opening yourself to a life of eternal doom. And I'm going to give you one final warning. If you don't want to know about Rocco's Basilisk, turn the episode off now. However, I'm going to presume that most of you are still listening, which is proving 
what we were talking about earlier about forbidden fruit to be completely true. And I mean that even by me giving you that warning, some of you are listening even closer. Some of your ears pricked up. Uh, If we've learned anything in the last 40 minutes or so, it's that things like parental adversary stickers, scathing reviews um, on a pornographic or lewd or unsavory novel deemed too obscene to read or uh, a celebrity trying to cover up where they live even or an unflattering picture, like it doesn't work. We are more drawn to the information that is withheld from us, um, especially when we're told by people that we cannot or should not know a piece of information. So saying that, we go into the story. Rocco's Basilisk made its first appearance on the discussion board called Less Wrong. And this is a message board for those interested in optimizing thinking, their lives, uh, and the world through mathematics and rationality. These are people very interested in AI, the future and adaptation of technology. And I'm letting you know this because it is pertinent to the information that is shared. So Less Wrong's founder, Elizir Yudowski, is a significant figure in techno-futurism. He's been boosted and funded by high-profile techies like Peter Thiel, and he's a contributor to academic discussions of technological ethics and decision theory. A lot of the people on Less Wrong are very interested in things like singularity. We went into uh, a lot of detail on singularity and the dangers of AI on an episode I did back in, I think, December. Uh, So you can go sign up to Patreon if you want to hear more about that because I'm not going to go into the nitty gritties. But what I'm about to tell you, it might seem abstract. It might seem paranoid. It might seem conspiratorial or even completely crazy to you. But when it was posted, it was deemed so controversial and potentially dangerous that some very influential and wealthy scientists tried to cover it up. One day, a less wrong user called Rocco postulated a thought experiment. What if, in the future, a malevolent AI was to come about and punish those who did not do its bidding? He went on to developed the idea that what if there was a way for this AI to punish people today who are not helping it come into existence later. In that case, by simply knowing or reading this information, the readers of Less Wrong suddenly were propositioned with a choice to help the AI exist or sacrifice yourself to eternal torment. So remember the guy that we talked about, the founder of Less Wrong, he wrote the following, completely panicked, and I quote, Listen to me very closely, you idiot, all caps. You do not think in sufficient detail about super intelligences, considering whether or not to blackmail you. That is the only possible thing which gives them a motive to follow through on the blackmail. You have been really clever to come up with a genuinely dangerous thought. I am disheartened that people can be clever enough to do that and not clever enough to do the obvious thing and keep their idiot mouths shut about it because it is much more important to sound intelligent when talking to your friends. This post was stupid. The post (laughs) was deleted and any discussion about Rockus Basilisk was banned from the site. However, this caused a massive increase in the number of people talking about the theory. 
So although the members now knew of the potential danger in even acknowledging the theory, they were openly discussing and debating it, which technically could be letting a future or already existing AI god know where they stood on the matter, which possibly opened them up to choosing the life of torment. (laughs) I can hear some of your minds kind of bending but if you think if you can't almost liken it to Slenderman remember being a child and hearing about Slenderman and it scaring you to death right you're terrified and the whole idea of Slenderman is the more aware you are of him the more aware he is of you this is a similar idea if there could be in the realm of possibilities an AI this intelligent it would have the ability to look back in time and destroy and eliminate the people who did not want it to exist. So by knowing this piece of information, and that includes you, it includes me too, you are now being given the choice whether to help the AI exist or not. And the conundrum within it all is you can't trick the computer. The AI knows where you stand on this. And no matter how you exist going forward, you're going to either be going into... The life of torment by the AI because you, deep down, it knows that you will not help it. Or you're going to go down just normal old road and probably end up helping the AI exist. And who knows what's going to happen then. The basilisk is basically able to punish people from the past because it has the ability to simulate the mind of a person based on data collected through their interaction with any form of technology. So although the proposition, right, it's very abstract. Um, but merely contemplating it the way you are right now in your head kicked off such a controversy that the discussion had to be shut down on Less Wrong. Some Less Wrong members even figured out how to remove any trace of their online existence to prevent the basilisk from simulating them in the future and, you know, tormenting them. So this is where the Streisand effect comes in. They completely banned this, as I said. Everywhere on Less Wrong. You were not allowed to bring it up. And Less Wrong, as a, although it is has, you know, a lot of people on there who are extremely intelligent, extremely informed in things that I will never even be able to begin to wrap my head around, uh, by shutting it down, it made it go viral. There's now articles all over the internet about Rockers Basilisk from Slate. There's YouTube videos, somewhat upwards of millions of views on these YouTube videos. So ironically, by trying to protect its small little group of users who were had very niche interests, um, they opened up millions upon millions of people into knowing about Rocco's Basilisk, thus endangering them too. And now if you have made it to the end of this episode unfortunately, and I gave you due warning, (laughs) you are now aware of it too. Um, I have to apologize, but you know, that I think there's also a thing within the Streisand effect that unforbidden information, the minute you know about the forbidden information, you kind of want to pass it along because you don't want to be the only one aware of the darkest parts of humanity or AI. So that is this month's free episode. As I mentioned, if you want more episodes of Red Room, and I'm talking weekly, if not bi-weekly, including two live streams a month, special guests, we talk about everything on there from 
kind of stuff we talked about today, like the dangers of AI, all the way through the paranormal, unexplained, unimaginable, the weird and the wonderful. Go sign up now. And if not, I will talk to you all next month. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.